All right, what's up, everybody? This is A7X fan Ben, and welcome to Pirate CSG podcast number 56. A huge thank you to our latest special guest is uh, Mr. Shane Hartley. He was the art director and one of the graphic designers back at WizKids when the game was still in print. So thank you for coming on, and uh, how are you nowadays? Oh, good. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's always awesome to talk to folks that worked at WizKids because you always get we always get new insights and the, I know the community is going to be excited to hear this episode. So it'll be really fun to cool. see what. Hopefully, see what I can remember yeah. everything. <laughs> I know it's been almost twenty years, so it's crazy. So, how did you get involved with Pirate CSG originally? So I started with WizKids. Um, I mean, more or less right out of college. I had. Um, uh, I went to art school and and uh, got hired on at WizKids originally as like both graphic designer and kind of like illustrator concept artist. Um, so I was doing like concept art illustrations for some of the miniatures and such that were d- during that time. I think one of the probably the most notable stuff that I had the most involvement in is we did a a little known uh, game miniatures game called Creepy Freaks. Um, and I did a bunch of the illustrations for those. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, I was doing packaging and, you know, graphic design and logos early on with, um, with the team there. Nice. Nice. So how did, um, how did you get involved with WizKids? Like originally, was it 2003 or? Um, I think it was 2002 when I got started. Um, yeah, it was like the summer of 2002, uh, you know, and then I was you know, I was doing a lot of the early packaging design and illustration stuff and then concept illustration, nothing that actually went to print as far as illustration. And then um, as time went on, then, you know, it moved a little bit like where I moved from graphic designer into um, I was like a more or less like a design assistant to the design lead to the art director at the time, um, Sandra Everingham and really like helped her in leading the the design team on creative and that's about the time that i can remember that when we started working on the pirates um game and i developed the the logo design and packaging and branding um for that very first set and then you know and then the subsequent sets um um starting that like system that that you know led into the various other sets afterwards yeah very nice. So you worked with Sandra and I'm sure probably Ethan and uh, Keon Ng. Yep. But what other designers and artists did you work with? Yeah, so um, so it's hard to remember exactly like who I hired and who I like who was on the team at the time. I know Ethan Ethan started it was kids right before I did. Um, there was uh, Shane Small, who many know from um, um, Exploding Kittens. He was one of the original founders of Exploding Kittens um and then kian was there for a little while um i can't i think i hired daryl um for a little while daryl Russwold. um and then i'm trying to think uh dustin was there um stephen walker um matt mcanelli um matt mcanelli actually uh, when WizKids was uh, purchased by NECA, um, he became like, uh, after I got, uh, I left WizKids, um, 
he became like the the art director at the time um, of a smaller group and then um, and then shortly thereafter it was you know sold to NECA and then they moved it all everything over to the east coast so um, but Matt was kind of like my right hand man for a long time so he had a he had quite a bit of involvement in the work as well so um, there's a few other people in there too if like like I'm blanking right now <laughs> yeah. we had a pretty big team um, when I was art director there and leading the team after I took over after Sandra left um, uh, I think there was like 13 Teen with both sculptors and uh designers that i managed um at the time so yeah wow yeah i was recently able to get a prototype copy of the adventure book and i was found some new names in the the credits page um so yeah it, definitely, it makes sense there was a lot of people involved especially because there were so yeah. many so many ships and unique crew artwork that almost none of it was reused over the sets so to design artwork for over a thousand ships and like hundreds of crew is pretty pretty amazing especially in such a yeah. short, short span of time as far as i know there was nothing that was like really reused mm -hmm. um we made sure that everything was somewhat unique in that respect like yes the different types of ships we would um just stylistically you know use similar assets but then we would be we would customize them appropriately to the theme of the set or the theme of the actual ship itself um and uh, yeah, did all that, you know, from scratch, from the beginning. Um, you know, we had quite a few of us. That, they were, usually it was around three or four of uh, the design team that was working on just the texturing of the ships um, at any one time. And then usually we had another person that was doing the layout of the cards, um, another person that was doing, like, the packaging uh and then somebody else was usually commissioning sometimes it was the packaging designer sometimes it was i think early days sandra did all the commissioning of the the portrait art um but i did a lot of it um after she left in like the packaging um commissioning yeah very nice yeah i love how the all the different ships have different artwork it gives the game a lot of character and depth which is really nice yeah um so did any or did some of the games artists do traditional work or do you know if it, some of it a lot of it was digital almost so as far as the ships goes and the actual like game components it was all digital uh 100 i think i may even have some of the original files somewhere some somewhere so in, in my stuff um nice. i know a lot got kind of lost um when they did the shift from WizKids to NECA. like some of the servers and stuff didn't get 100 saved when they did the transfer um, but I have quite a bit that I, that I know of, but I haven't looked at that stuff in a really long time. Um, as far as the, like, uh, the portrait work, um, I would say almost all, like, I would probably all of it was done digital, um, as far as I know, just because that was also the aesthetic we were going for. Um, there, we purposely chose, we wanted like a, a modernized, version of old paintings but done in a very digital um roughing in blocking in style so we wanted to bring something new to the to the genre the pirate genre without um copying like what had been done before like oil old oil paintings and such but like giving it a new fresh look um and so we hired some artists that now are some of the biggest artists in the industry um so you have like um Karen Yanner, who works at Wizards of the, uh, Wizards of the Coast now, he's um, an art director for Magic. Um, we have 
um, Vance Kovacs, who he's a concept artist at uh, for a lot of your major feature films. Um, Justin Sweet as well. So a lot of those guys that were, you know, somewhat, I would say, somewhat earlier on in their careers have like really, um, you know, really gone pretty big time. <laughs> yeah. um, and then as far as the packaging art, uh, there was a little bit of um, traditional in there, but it was 99% of it was all digital work. Um, I think we had, there was a couple pieces that we had found that we actually somewhat licensed from an existing um, kind of age of sale style artists um, that we then either modified or, or, you know, use them. And I, I can't remember. I just remember reaching out to a couple and I don't know how many of those actually went to print, but majority of them were, um, were digital pieces that we, we hired out. And then like um, one of the artists that did a, quite a bit um, with, pirates later on was vincent dutrait and vincent was interesting because as far as i remember when i reached out to him and found him he had only done a couple i think it were like a couple like pirate style or adventure style like children's books um and he hadn't really stepped into games yet uh so um so that was interesting and like we brought him in and he did you know some portraits and some um and some like some of the actual ship art and such that was on the packaging, not the actual, not the textures on the boats. Um, but um, yeah, that was cool because now Vincent probably is, uh, as I would say, I, I would say now, like we, like I'm still in contact with Vincent and he's probably one of the most prolific um, board game artists in the industry now. Um, very, very well known. And he does a combination of, um, he does his stuff traditional and then i know he mixes a little bit with with uh as far as i remember some digital in there as well so he's kind of got a little bit of both yeah yeah that's awesome he's definitely on my list of uh hopeful future podcast guests and yeah i, I love yeah his work. If can, uh, yeah if you need a contact i can definitely um put you in contact with vincent we we still work together um you know, in, in my current role. Um, so, yeah, that's awesome. I'm, gl I'm glad to hear uh, Justin Sweet's name too. Uh, there was someone has like a signed crew card from the original set Spanish main, and we couldn't tell the last name on it. And then I saw his name, I think in the credits for the adventure book and was like, Oh, maybe this is because we knew it wasn't Justin Zaran. So we, uh, so I was like, Oh, maybe this is Justin Sweet. And then Tiffany O'Brien was like, Oh yeah, that must be who, who signed it. So, it's good to know him a little better now too. So um, for that traditional work that was done, do you know if any of it is, is still exists in physical form? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. What was that? It got, no, I, oh. I mean, the, what the, the traditional stuff that actually was done. If I, Oh, sorry. I just said, uh no like i don't think any like if it is if it does exist it was like we we licensed the usage of uh like the pirate like a ship painting from an existing artist uh, on cover but i think that maybe have only been like one time um it was like and it was an existing piece that 
remember. But I, I to be honest, like I'm out to a couple artists that had a, had you know words and it, but I don't know if they actually went to print. Okay. Okay. So probably not. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, what was your favorite type of packaging you designed for the game? Like packs, tins, or boxes, or anything else? Um, I mean, in general, like I really loved the doing the actual like the flow packs, like the booster packs. That was always super fun to me because being able to work with the foil material and like what pieces, like what sh you know, actually had a metallic look and what didn't like work with so from a designer point of view it was kind of a geek out on like, okay how do i use the material to make it look fun? Uh, um, yeah it's cutting so off that was for me um i think i'm trying to think of anything else like if i can switch to like head help uh hold on yeah no worries yeah i've got your site up where you've got the pirates um pictures of the artwork and whatnot so how about now is it a little better now yeah yeah that sounds great okay. sorry so yeah so as far as like the the packaging like i love the the you know the the booster packs just because it like is from a designer point of view it's like it's a fun experience to be able to work with foil material and and using white plates and um seeing how it like affects the foil and making it really flashy and fun but as far as like i always liked a new form factor and doing something new um the adventure book i remember that was a cool new thing because we it was like it looked like a book but we had this cool like window that you could see stuff and it was just like a, a new thing i remember prototyping that um and then like displays or anything like you know, larger format when we were we were creating larger format ships and things like that for events and such. So, yeah, I mean, generally, uh, I always like a new challenge and doing something fun. And anytime you can see anything you do that sits on a shelf at a store, it's like it's really fun to do. See, um, I still see every once in a while, like I'll run, I'll walk through like an old like a bookstore or something that sells like used books and they'll they'll have like a used or like a unopened tin or something like that. And I'm like, whoa, where did they get this? You know, or, um, I went into an old uh, a sports card store the other day and they were having a it was almost like a like they were like clearing it out because the owners had you know sold it or something. And so they had like an estate person going through and like just clearing out all their stuff. And they had like pirates and they had uh, Star Wars pocket models and they had a whole bunch of stuff that was just you know, just sitting there, um, you know, like either that there was just old product that, you know, they had like been keeping or whatever, or somebody had turned it in. It was pretty, pretty amazing, you know, blast from the past. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Somebody just, I think this weekend was asking in the Pirate CSG discord about whether or not people can still find stuff at local game stores. And there are a few reports of that, you know, maybe once or twice a year, but definitely pretty rare. So yeah, I mean, I think usually you have better chances like at those like estate sales or something or if like a, uh, one of the companies goes out of business or like, you know, somebody's collection that they've, you know, I think you could still find it for sure. Um, or if like one of us, like the old WizKids guys, if they if we uh, still have product, sometimes we will, um, you know, like, you know, let it go or something like that. So I know I have like I still have a an uncut sheet of cards with my particular like the thane heartless card um 
it's an unpunched um just printed on the the styrene um somewhere in my like stuff and then i have some of the old um like gold like gold foil um ships and like the silver foil ships and things like that that were done um i think for i know i have them for the star wars pocket models i can't remember if i've got them for pirates but yeah i've got a various you know collection of stuff still that i just keep for my own personal nice yeah yeah those uncut sheets are wild i don't have any yet i think a few showed up on ebay some years ago but definitely a fun rarity yeah yeah did you design any of the ship artwork for the game or was it mostly more the packaging? Um, majority of the time I was doing packaging, um, but I did do a few. I just can't remember which ones I did. I did early on, like um, the actual like, you know, like after Ethan was the one that did almost, well, I'd say Ethan and Kean, they did majority of the like the model design. And then I know Daryl did a little bit in the in like the later years, um, but then um, and then Daryl and like a bunch of the other graphic designers that were on my team, they were actually doing a lot of the texturing of the ships. But I did get in there as well. I just can't remember which ones I got involved with. There were so many of them. Yeah. Um, nice. Do you remember a favorite uh, pack or set artwork you did like Crimson Coast or Savage Shores or anything like that? Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, they all kind of blend. I remember the one that was like, what was it? The was it Revolution? Yeah, that one's uh, got like a big ship, like headed straight towards you know the user, the viewer, essentially. Yeah, like, and then there was the one. I remember there was another one that was like a what was it the I don't remember all the set names I'm totally blanking the what was it like the um at like a Viking ship style yeah Frozen North yeah yeah I yes Frozen North that site. one was I remember super fun I remember working with the artist on like the the actual design of the ship and you know how we wanted it to, to look and then there was also. Davy Jones curse was super cool because that's when we really, we introduced like the, the monsters, um, like the, you know, the, the sea monster stuff and, you know, bringing in though that more of that darker kind of like, um, magical entity to it. Like it was very fun. Um, and then of course the, when we did the spinoff one of the, um, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, that was also a, a cool challenge, um, to figure out how to like, blend in pirates of the caribbean into our existing um, property and like at that time i remember disney didn't have it was really funny because we got involved in um they wanted we we did that license and disney didn't have a style guide for pirates of the, of the caribbean um there wasn't a uh, we because we got in so early of that um for that particular um thing and so we had to come up with a look for them like the only thing they had were like pictures of the actors um and so i remember we were working it on that one and another like our main set at the exact same time and so i worked with a, a design team that i had worked with in the past and um it was uh, uh creative pilot was the name of the agency um who had worked with disney before and the two like me and them like worked together on developing like uh developing a essentially a style guide for disney 
to some extent for Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Wow. That's really fascinating, actually. Huh. Interesting. Um, do you know the story behind the first faded printing of Spanish Main, uh, the first set? And it had like the first printing had kind of a faded, more whitish, like yellow parchment color. And then it was kind of like less of a pastel color and the other printings. I've never really discovered the origin of that. If you have any insight. Um, I mean, other than it might have been like a print error. I know in the very beginning, um, it was definitely a somewhat of a a new because we were working on a new medium. So styrene the material is very interesting to actually print on. Um, it kind of breaks a lot of the rules that we we had established within design and print. So normally when you print on a plastic for per se, it's non-porous. It has and so um you will get really crisp colors and such and you have to um and so it's like normally really easy. Styrene all tends to act a lot like almost like newsprint where it's the material actually is super porous and the ink actually will will seep into the plastic. Um, and so what we found is, is like, if we put down like our normal amount of ink that we would for just like a, you know, like a paper or any other printed material, it would just almost turn black. Wow. <laughs> and, and so we were getting like this oversaturation effect. Um, and so I know, and when I was working on it, uh, like in the early days when we were getting some of those early tests, um, I had to do a process where we would create all of the cards and they would look great on screen and everything would look really great um, from our own prints on our own paper. But once we were to send it off to the factory to actually get printed, I ran everything through an action script that essentially put a color profile that stripped everything down to where on screen it looked like there was almost no ink on screen. Like it would just look like everything was faded out. And then when we would print it, it would come in at, at full color. So it was always like this pretty cool, uh, like, you know, it was a little bit of like this trouble pre troubleshooting of it where it looked like crap on screen. But then when you actually saw it, it was like this beautiful, you know, full color illustration because of how it acted on the actual styling material. So it might have been that like those could have been like an early print um, or, or something like that. But uh, I wouldn't think that it would be something intentional. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That does sound like a frustrating thing to work with kind of auto, like overcorrecting and then hoping the final comes out the way it needs yeah. to. Interesting. Yeah. And I remember it was actually, um, I had been working on role-playing games at the time. Um, I also did a bunch of designs for role-playing games, uh, for another company. And, um, I was having some color issues as well in the same respect. And because a lot of role-playing games, they use a lower quality paper for their, their, um, for their books because it's just it's cheaper to produce and um, I was able to use a similar process of removing a lot of the ink um, that would be actually be put down on the paper um, and use that for for the pirates um, um, you know production so it's pretty cool yeah very nice um, this one's a little random but do you know the cause of some of the uncommons from uh, Spanish main unlimited like the second or third printings of it having a gold corner because normally yellow or gold would be for rare rarity but then some of the normally uncommons have silver but some of them are kind of like a bronzish color i don't know if that was if the uncommons were originally going to be a different color 
Yeah, I mean, as far as that, I wouldn't, I, you know, it could have been like a mistake, but I don't know, you know, I can't remember, um, you know, from that, those kind of particulars. Um, one person that might know, um, have you had a chance to talk with Mike Mulvihill yet? No, not yet. I've reached out to him, but nothing yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Mike, he knows a lot of the nitty gritty stuff. Um, but as far as some of the like, like printing and such that, you know, sometimes it'll get, you know, like things will happen and, or files will get swapped accidentally. I mean, we were doing so many cards, um, you know, and so many sets a year that, you know, mistakes are bound to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I sent you a couple of pics in the chat about somebody found, oh, yeah. I think it was last year. Um, I'm going to look more into it uh, soon, I think, but there were, there was an eBay auction. Somebody had like a Spanish main first edition set and it included these really weird looking, looks like prototypes essentially. So we're just wondering if you've ever seen stuff like that from back in maybe even 2003 or 2004, like the first half of 04, yeah. um, if they're original prototypes and they've got like the Chinese lettering on them and stuff like that, like straight from the factory is what it looks like. Yep. So that's, these are totally legit. These are um, what we would get back. So during the process of creating the ships, we actually created everything on car in using a special cardboard that, um, that Ethan had found that was like the right thickness to match what we were going to be doing for cards. And he would prototype it all in, in cardboard. And then he would create like the actual die lines um, afterwards in, in Illustrator. We would send those off to the factory and the factory would send us what we, these white samples. So unprinted um, sheets that we would then test in, uh, um, in the office to make sure that all the connection points were, were right, that everything was like punching through correctly. Um, you know, just the whole, we would do the full testing of that. And then those sheets that you have there that are in the, uh, the binder or in the the sleeves, those are direct from um, the factory that we were working with at the time. Um, those were essentially their, like their, you know, uh, records of each type of um, die. And so it was like their, and like they would send this and this usually came along with our, the prototype and it would tell us, okay, okay this is this punch out or this card was the the common die and then or an uncommon die or it was a um you know labeling everything so that we knew exactly where it was coming from yeah yeah that's fascinating man it also told us like um usually like the direction of the punch um it could kind of tell us like it because if you flip a card over or if, you know depending on like as you guys all know that like the the cards will snap better if you punch it from one side or if it, they'll punch back in easier from another side yeah um, and that has to do with the way that the actual the die um actually pushed through um to make the make the ships yeah that makes perfect sense. Have, you guys, have you guys uh do you guys know how that process worked like what it like how they actually cut those uh mike selinker talked about it um on a previous episode about how it was like a 24 foot long maybe or something like that like a clicker press that comes down and just crushes like a massive sheet of styrene and breaks it pretty hard yeah so it's i can't remember how many cards up it had it wasn't that big yeah <laughs> um but it essentially was um you can imagine i think there was like 
if I'm, I'm trying to remember it usually had like this sheet here like has six cards here i think it had i think it might have been six by six so it would be six of these six cards so and so if you imagine so then um okay and then it would break up then they would split those up again so um it was a big machine like and it had one big sheet of styrene with all those on there and then it looked like um like they would literally put in one sheet of styrene it's all printed and it would come down on top of it like a huge piece of metal um and it would press it would push through um and that actually cut it so it wasn't like a like a, a normal cutting tool is the actual process of pushing through the styrene that actually created the cut um so it was like very a very like micron level of a of a shape that was on the upper plate that would then press down with like thousands of pounds of pressure and um, make the sheet. And then they would do it at like a really breakneck, break fast level where, and I watched them. I remember I was, I went to Asia quite a few times um, wow. to, to work with that process and then also our miniatures. And then when we were developing the tins and such, and I would, they would, <laughs> it was kind of scary because they would throw it in like by hand, like each sheet. And between every time the machine would open up and they would pull out the sheet, throw in the new one, throw you know, it was like, and I was like, man, somebody's hand is going to get like crushed in there. But yeah, um, they were, they were fast and, and uh, definitely did it. So we didn't, we didn't have any injuries that we knew of. Yeah. Well, wow, that's amazing. And yeah, they have to punch, punch them out quick to get it down yeah. to that good price of like $2 a ship, basically three ninety nine a pack. So really yeah, affordable. yeah. Uh, I noticed on the piece of paper at the bottom, it says used for CC Crimson Coast and SM Spanish Main, not Revolution. So I'm thinking this might have been like a 2005, maybe prototype potentially. Because um, as far as I remember what Mike Selinker and uh, James Ernest talked about, when the first set came out, there wasn't immediately plans for other sets. At least they didn't know how well it would sell. Um they didn't expect it to do such amazing things at the stores. So I'm wondering if this is more of like an 05 thing than an 04 thing based on those yeah. sets. Yeah. I mean, usually what we did was like, we did create the dies. And then, I mean, I think that everybody hoped that it would be, you know, uh, it would be something, but we didn't know. You know, you never know what's going to hit and what's not. Yeah. Um, I remember that early days was the only plans was we were only going to do. Well, it started off like it was literally just going to be seven sets huh. um, because it was originally supposed to be only the seven C's. So like that was that was the original plan from based on what I remember that Jordan, when he worked on it, like he was saying like, oh, it, it was supposed to be, you know, the seven C's will have seven sets and then we'll be done. Huh. So like that was the <laughs> and then it ran like what do we end up running like 13 sets? Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it kind of was it's funny in that respect. Um that you you never know where things are going to go but as far as like we would never throw away a die and if we knew that like we could use it going forward um so yeah it could have been a scenario where this was a die that like we had from before and they were ringing in or um you know or we were uh like at the case here where it says not revolution this probably it could have been a scenario where the, our uncommon die or our common die might have changed um, 
based on the new ships we were bringing in for revolution um so yeah okay yeah very interesting okay i love hearing about this history of all of it <laughs> so cool um, yeah how do you describe your process for creating character art i know you may not have done a lot um but if you had like kind of like getting into the graphic designer specifics of it if you had like how you would start creating one and then the process of yeah so we through. usually yeah we would hire the the concept artists uh or sorry the 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 portrait artists for for them and we would write up a description for every single character um and i can't remember if we had their full names at that point um or if they were after i believe we had names to start um and then that the artist would work from there and we usually had a description of you know this is where they're from this is their like this is the type of uh person we want them to be you know we want them to be like a strong um woman or we want them to be like this you know dark and scary uh, you know ugly dude you know what i mean like we were very like okay these are the types of looks we were we were going for and sometimes we would also find reference to 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 help the artists in that respect be like okay this is the direction we're going for the clothing or this is the hat we want them to wear or um you know and we were really especially if they came from a certain clan you know or a certain area um of the world we would we would be like okay here's their more or less this is the clothing that they are wearing during that time period um so base it off of this so because we definitely wanted to make sure that we were time period somewhat accurate like yes this is a fantasy pirates you know world that we were creating um and it was definitely but it had some historical basis and things um sometimes we come in with you know brand new stuff but a lot of times we did base it on what was historically factual and then kind of um romanticize it to some extent yeah yeah i love how the game is based on history but then expands past that and yeah. gets into yeah. some yeah. fun concepts so and then we wanted the artists to also have fun so yeah. again it was like we gave them that that those descriptions and then we'd like see what they'd come back with and you know early early stuff was like you know sometimes really super loose and then we'd say okay let's let's tighten up this area or like let's do this or that and you know of course depending on the artist um some were a little bit you know more detailed other ones were a little more loose um it just it, it kind of they evolved over time to some extent um but uh, we tried to keep that like digital painterly look all the way through yeah yeah i love it um do you know who did the mysterious islands box art you sometimes there's like a signature on some of the artwork for some of the early sets but i haven't seen one on this i don't think yeah um so that's the one with the what was it with the um the nautilus submarine i sent it in the chat yes the submarine so we had a couple 3d artists that were working on this i remember in the early days and so I believe um, part of the art was done by one artist that actually painted part. And then this 3D piece um, of the submarine that might have either done been done by Ian or Daryl, or it could have been done by we had a 3D artist that we would use um, every once in a while. Uh, Uh, 
I'm not finding him off the top of my mic now. I'm like looking real quick. But yeah, we had a couple like in-house, if I remember right, that would actually do some of this stuff. Um, and we would, I, I, I'm almost positive this could have been a, a Daryl or another um, 3D artist that we then used that like and superimposed it over a, a digital painting. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, really, like really almost photorealistic compared to some of the other stuff that was done for the box artwork. So pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, Hudgens is his name, John Hudgens. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard that name before. Cool. Yeah, John did a lot of our, um, uh, I know that he got very much involved in like the work we did on the, the Star Wars pocket models. Um, he actually provided a lot of the early texturing for those because um, like his vast knowledge in, of course he was, um, he did some other work for us in the previous um, games and such, but um, for Star Wars specifically, he had quite a bit of content and he built a lot of those textures and such for us to, to use on those ships um, and did some of the 3D work and such on that. And so I'm, it might have been John um, that did the actual um, this image. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I guess Ethan did most of the physical like ship types and how they worked. Mm -hmm. um, do you know what inspired some of the later ones, like the switchblades and the scorpion ships and the bomber bombardiers, things like that? I mean, I think Ethan just got a little more like creative for to, to be honest. Like <laughs> yeah. it was like. We um, we often the the factory would come back and say, OK, here's some other things they've done in the similar material. And we were seeing some of like the cool, like movable pieces and how far could we push the the material? You know, early days, it was very much like very flat. We like even the curving of the hulls was was a little bit new in that in that particular material for what we had seen um and so each set we'd like push a little bit further a little bit further and like what could we what could we do with the material that was new and different but at the same time still easy enough to build um so i mean i i love ethan he was like somewhat of a magician in you know visualizing his stuff and figuring out how all the pieces would come together and and also just how much he could do with the small real estate that he was given um that was also the, you know, that <laughs> the the wizardry there. Um, it's like, how do you build this amazing, you know, ship or this 3D form and you've only got a couple cards to do it? Yeah. Yeah. Not just that, but even just a couple inches on the deck, like fitting the moving pieces in with decks yeah. on top of each other and things of that nature. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah, for wild. sure. Somebody yeah, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't until later that we I think it was on I think Star Wars was you know coming after you know where we really pushed that envelope even further and then of course NASCAR um as well. Yeah. Interesting. Somebody a long time ago posted a picture of uh like a Leonardo Leonardo da Vinci like drawing of something that may or may not have inspired the scorpion ship design with like a stinger coming down. I can't find it right now, but That'd be interesting if he took some little historical inspiration there. I'll try to yeah, find that sometime. Yeah, I don't remember if that was that came into play. I mean, Ethan would be a good one to to interview for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, do you know when it was decided to change the numbering scheme for the cards and what kind of sparked that to come about? Basically, like it was it was numbered by faction primarily in Ocean's Edge, like the Cursed were first and then the Pirates. But then in Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, they changed it to rarity based rather than faction. So all the rare ships were first, then the rare crew, and then uncommon ships, uncommon crew. I'm just not sure. I know that happened with the Pirates of the um like pirates pocket models the name and like yep. trademark design changed but i don't know why the yeah they didn't have like the i remember the trademark change i also remember when we changed the numbering system but i don't remember the why and i don't yeah. those two things together didn't have any like reason you know between the two yeah, yeah. it may have been just the fact that like you know us looking at like what is a better way for the fans um to really collect them and and more understanding between um like a better system of the collectible you know within like understanding rarities and such um i know like even in some of my other games that i'm working on and current games i'm working on it's really like learning how people are collecting things and how they're organizing their sets you know if they're completionists or they're how they're doing it um you know also affects sometimes that those changes yeah yeah that's fair um do you know if there were any legal issues back in maybe oh three or oh four with c cards <laughs> or wizards of the coasts when the the card design was kind of coming up essentially so i i don't know a ton there the only thing i know of we did have some legal issues with wizards of the coast yeah um as far as mostly from the design of how it was played um and using the the material like this you know the styrene uh, models to to play a game and the mechanics based around it i actually was just talking to mike mulvihill just last week about this it was kind of funny we were just like reminiscing about some stuff and um at the time i remember it was i believe it was the wizards of the coast transformers game um that they had come out with about the same time period and they were saying that like our system mimicked the the same gist same same game system that they were doing and um i remember mike mulvihill was part of that those deliberations and he was like no that's not actually how our game is played <laughs> and so it was just kind of a funny a funny thing but yeah there was some i remember some early on stuff but i wasn't too involved at that point i was at that point i was just a lowly graphic designer didn't get involved in that stuff <laughs> yeah yeah that's fair yeah it is kind of a weird story because i've read that patent uh the wizards of the coast patent a few times and it's it's kind of similar but it's also they refer to like a base which the ships don't really have like they don't stand on something else like some of the other like age of sail games have that um yep yeah it's kind of i feel like it's a stretch but oh well but it's it's fascinating yeah. because that that patent's due to expire uh, in October of this year, so I'm pretty interested to see what happens there. Probably nothing, but it'll definitely be on my radar. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you know, as of right now, I don't know like where like where all the licenses are held at this point, as far as like the 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 game and like like who owns the the IP for the for pirates overall and like the game system overall just because it's like it's changed hands so many times and like 
We've had some partners that were involved in it early on. Um, I know there was some there was some developments that like there were they were print they were producing kind of like I would call it like more evergreen sets of things where they were like doing almost like combinations of stuff uh, uh, in some European countries and stuff. But like, yeah, I totally lost track of like who owns what at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You mean like European companies making like a knockoff version that was called something no, else? No, it wasn't or... like a knockoff version. We so we would we would um we worked with I think it was Amigo at the time. Um they were essentially selling the Pirates brand as they did the Pirates board game international version in like Italy and a few other countries. And then I think there was some other sets where it was like it was almost like a combo set of like multiple different ones, but they were being sold and sold internationally. Um, and we were licensing it out to other publishers to, to produce. But that's the last thing I remember, like some early, like, and it could have been just like we were doing talks and such, but I know Amigo did um, the board game version. Um, so. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. I actually, still, I actually work with now the, uh the the person that was working at amigo who actually facilitated <laughs> that license of producing the the pirates in um italy and a couple of those european countries it's funny that just a small world now that i'm working with him now at robinsberger yeah yeah fascinating yeah i have heard a little bit about how the the rights to the game or some of the copyright and whatnot have gotten convoluted or is more complicated than it would first appear. Justin Zeron did uh, answer a question I had, I think a few years ago about how WizKids still, they're under NECA now, of course, but that WizKids still holds like the IP, essentially the copyright to the text and characters and things like that. So yeah, but... that's where I think it it lands. Um, as far as I know, uh, I remember at one point, um, they were actually, they reached out to me because I had a lot of the files. And they were looking at possibly, um, or at least I had a bunch of them that I remembered, um, that because they, they were trying to collect everything and possibly do a, like either a refresh or like a reprinting or something. Um, but that's been a number of years ago, so I have no idea like if there are any current plans to, to bring it back. Yeah, fascinating. I would assume that was um, an effort they did in like 2011 or 12 for the shuffling the deck version. I'm not sure if you. I've heard of that part. Yeah, that might have been yeah, that might have been around the right time now that I'm thinking about it from you know his, history wise. I remember it was a few years after the the NECA sale and everything and everything's trans transferred and then they I think Justin and a couple of people reached out to me at that point um and wondering if I had some stuff. Okay. I'm thinking that's probably what it was. Because even on their current page for it that I just sent over, you see some of the same artwork got reused and stuff like that. It looks like Grim the Savage is under like a Dutch flag, maybe something like that. But um, that's probably that's probably what it was for. I'm thinking. I'm oh just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking here. It looks yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be fascinated if it was for anything else, but I'm kind of I'm thinking it's probably was just for that the card game version. So. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I hate to end it here, but hopefully we could do more. I know well, there's I a lot more, more time if you have any okay. other questions you want to run through. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just let me know whenever you want to 
cut off. I know you got to run. Yeah, so yeah. That there's no problem with that at all. Um, but yeah, so one of the crazier collecting stories is always around the Obago Deuce, which was a ship that didn't really get fully released uh, back in the back in the heyday when things were getting chaotic with the recession and um, with kids shutting down in Washington, things like that. Uh, but did yep. you did you ever get your hands on an Obago Deuce in 2008? I mean, I got one of everything. So that was part of the WizKids deal was that we we got one of everything that was ever ever produced. Um, if they were prototypes, we weren't guaranteed to get it. But sometimes, you know, just being in the, you know, around stuff, I have like, you know, some of the prototypes of things and such that I still that I would have gotten. But as far as like a particular ship you know like like specifying which one and and that would be you know i might have had it at one point or yeah uh, and you know but as far as like the history and that i don't remember it totally okay so. yeah no worries so you don't know how many were printed probably no that ship. yeah okay no. and yeah. like depending on the time frame of when that was printed or like it, it, in the year or something like that like um so tina wagner was head of production um and she she really was the one that like would have known as far as like how many were produced and like how much things cost and you know she was she was our main point of contact with the factory and production and, and shipping and all that and really was like held all the the chips on that kind of content as far as, but at the same time her memory isn't super great on that kind of stuff just because she's I've talked to her about things and she's like, I don't remember any of that stuff anymore, but yeah. um, she probably could give you a little bit of an insight on, you know, production and things. If you ever wanted to know a little bit about that kind of thing, but yeah, that sounds awesome. I've actually not heard that name before. So thank you for uh, mentioning her. I'll have to yeah. Tina was like, she was our, she, she did all the, she was head of production for WizKids for a number of years. Um, really until the end. Um, and then, um, and then actually came on to, uh, Wonderforge games, which became, uh, Robinsberger games in the North America. And that's where I, I worked with, uh, Tina again, um, here at Robinsberger and then she left just shortly, um, a year or two ago. So, okay. Interesting. Yeah. There's like theories that the Obago juice, it's like the rare ship in the game. Some people think there were about 30 produced, but then somebody else researched it and think there's like 55 or 57. So it's always a fun, hot topic in the community. One of them sold for, um, I think the record price right now is like $1,825 um, for that one ship from a couple of years ago. So wow. it's gotten, wow, yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't have suspected it would be that small of a number just based on our own, you know, production runs. Um, I think like the smallest number we would you would we would ever have done like on a like something like that could be around fifty or so if we did a something special special but you know or if it was like a very small run within a sheet um, you know that kind of thing but yeah there's got to be at least I mean it, yeah there's got to be more than that out there um, or at least it would have been produced and then maybe just didn't get fully out there into the wild yeah. Yeah, it's really, really pretty bizarre, actually. Um, and then we'll skip the next one about Bago Juice. So you did design at least some of the adventure book. Do you know if any playable game pieces uh, were ever produced for it, even if they were just prototypes? 
I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I just remember doing the prototype for it. I remember seeing like actual samples and such in house um, of the packaging and I'm trying to remember if there was. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's the last thing I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, I think I have one of those samples. There's only two that I know about. Um, somebody posted on my site that they have one. Um, yeah, how did you get a hold of the sample one? Um, so basically, uh, th that was only this year. It was it sold on eBay in 2011 to uh, one of the members of the community, and she actually uh, got it for only like 53 bucks back then. She was in contact. I think she knew about it because this really kind of infamous or famous German collector whose screen name was Old Man um, over in Germany. He alerted her to it, and he already had like almost everything that was ever part of the game's history, like collecting wise. So she was able to win the auction. Um, and then we've been discussing various topics over the years. And then this year she said I should be the one to have it if anybody. So I bought it from her. Um, I don't know That's who crazy. the original eBay seller was back in 2011. It was probably somebody that worked at WizKids, I would imagine, but I'm not yeah, sure about this, yeah. this other copy that somebody at my site, has i don't really know much about them or how they got a hold of it but definitely might look more into that um at some point yeah there was so. um there was one of the guys that had left WizKids that he facilitated a lot of the old WizKids sales um and he like he kind of created like his own business of selling product from people as they were leaving some of these uh these gaming companies um, and so I know a lot of that. His name is um, Wade Segiyama, and and he would yeah facilitate those sales. So like a lot of the WizKids got people that didn't know very much about eBay or didn't want to know or didn't want to go through the hassle, they would essentially hand hit their full collection of contents over to him, and then he would sell it all for them. Um, so that's usually the way that like a lot of it hit the <laughs> hit, hit eBay. Yeah, yeah, he must have been the one probably posting some of the Obago juices because some of them were sold on eBay in two thousand nine, back when they were only like fifty to a hundred bucks. Now it's yeah. just gone crazy with the inflation over the years. So yeah, very interesting. Um, and uh, let me see. It looks like Vincent Dutrait did some of the artwork for the adventure book. At least I have a note about that. Yeah. But okay. Yeah, I... that's that seems right. He also did the one that's like. I'm looking at this like shuffling the deck card game. That image, it that's uh, of the ships um, fighting there. That's definitely a Vincent Dutrait piece, just by the style. I can tell right away. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's Vincent did quite a bit, um, just because he was so prolific, um, uh, especially at the ships itself. That I just I loved working with him, and so um, yeah, we did quite a bit there. Yeah, yeah, his stuff is definitely pretty cool. His site um, still has some some of the pirates artwork on it, mixed in with some other stuff for potentially other. Yeah, I mean, it's been a number of years, and he's done so much since then that I'm sure it's being slowly pushed down in the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This is it's fascinating. This that I know that Wade name from somewhere. Um, I can't remember where, but there's still some folks that post stuff. Um, on ebay i'll get the name of yeah i don't think wade's doing anything now he's 
moved away from that for a while. Wade was, um, he was one of the, I think, assistant brand managers or brand managers at the time for Heroclix. He might have done a little bit of um, pirate stuff with Tiffany um, as well. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, now I'm I'm looking it up in the crew database. <laughs> um, Gus Schultz, whoever became known as him in the game, he was like an American crew from the South China Sea set. Um, he still posts stuff on eBay occasionally, at least did the past few years. So even in 2023 it's crazy to see um i don't even know that name (laughs) oh really okay interesting yeah i'll have to look more into it i want to say he was the one that said he had been on the factory floor but i'll I'll have to look through my messages i'll get back to you if gus schultz was the one that said something about that somebody so ebay is definitely like i knew pretty much everybody um that on the production level um and who would also actually be able to even going to to the factories at that point um so yeah fascinating huh yeah it's crazy the weird like history collecting rabbit holes you can go down on ebay because somebody will post something out of the blue and you've never seen the username and then you'll message them like where did you get it and it's like oh i worked for WizKids, and it's, it's like whoa and then i'm like off to the races <laughs> hoping for more responses uh yeah i'm looking at the gus schultz crew right now just i looked it up just to see if i even and yeah does not look familiar at all fascinating huh yeah oh wow i just (laughs) i'm reading the flavor text it says no one knows much about gus schultz he doesn't discuss his past even when you can get him to talk weird that's funny i guess that's fitting then huh you have to look more yeah (laughs) the only other person the only person that would really probably know as far as who were those would be tiffany yeah, uh, because she knew all the people that we put onto the crew um, that were usually, um, you know, that were paintings of um, employees. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm hoping to play with her again, probably next month. Um, we might play in Bellevue if you ever wanted to join. So that's where we played like a couple of years ago. So, it's yeah, fun. I mean, and, and definitely I know I mentioned to uh, to Mike Mulvihill as well that I was going to be talking to you and he was like, Hey, you should have him call me. Okay. So he, he totally <laughs> up to be, to playing and, and, uh, talking for sure. He lives, he's in the area still. And yeah. I work with him, um, at Robinsberger. So he's like, you know, we talk every day. So, wow. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah. Thank you. I have messaged him a little bit. Uh, I don't think he's responded yet, but that's really awesome to hear. So that'd be a dream. Yeah. He's, true for sure. best, uh, he's mostly, he's going to be most respondent to an email over like a messenger. Okay. That's good to know. All right. Uh, let's see. So concerning the theoretical 14th set, uh, return to Savage Shores, did you design any artwork for that unreleased set? Not that I can remember. Yeah. I mean, as far as like where, like where that cutoff was, I was, I left with kids. It was like in, September and then it was like like October when they shut the doors in the the Bellevue office and then um there was that hiatus between when they shifted over to NECA and and such it was like yeah as far as like as far as what was developed or what was in the process of developing I it's it's hard to remember okay yeah no worries at all 
Um, and then another yeah, one. I was managing like all of the creative. So it was, um, and then training Matt McAnally because I knew I was leaving and training him to take over as I was leaving. And um, so I had all of the sculpting for all the all of our miniatures games plus you know, the pirates work and, and such. So, um, my, uh, my focus was definitely divided at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Definitely really crazy fall time that year. Totally bizarre. Um, and then concerning another thing that didn't see a full release was the, the ships in a bottle. I talked to Tiffany a little bit about it. Um, do you happen to know if more than the two prototypes ever got produced for those and where they ended up or. Uh, I remember we, I remember the, like, I can briefly remember the, even talking about it and developing, you know, the idea around it. But as far as far, you know, you know, as much as me at this point now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. It's really for a while. It seemed like there would be four, different ships only two have been found back on ebay like 2010 i think 2009 maybe and uh it seemed like four might exist because a lot of the sets had four special edition ships for the special edition boxes but yeah um, but none of the neither of the other two theoretical other two have ever have ever showed up so maybe it was just those two so yeah the person that would know on that one is definitely ethan okay interesting okay awesome and then Man, so many fun unreleased like collectibles to talk about. So the Ocho Brazo was a Kraken that was originally going to be released, I think, in Rise of the Fiends. It made it on the checklist and everything, but I don't know if artwork for that was ever produced. I think I talked to, I want to say Kyle Wolfel, uh, Wolf said there wasn't, but I can't remember for sure. Um, it's like an unreleased Kraken. Let me see if I can unearth anything Bye. about it. I don't even know that name that you just said. <laughs> okay. Okay. Interesting. What did you say his name was? Uh, Ocho Brazo. It means like oh, eight, eight arms so, or whatever. But you said somebody wolf? Uh, yeah. Kyle Wolfel. He was um, he was the oh. rules, rules arbitrator after uh, Tony Vigil left. Yes. So. Yes. Yes. I know that name. But yeah, as far as like, yeah, I don't remember if that was ever what, you know what got produced at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I guess Ethan probably would have been the one to design it potentially. Okay. Yeah. Um, this was, this was a question from someone else. Uh, if you could take back one piece of artwork or design, what would it be? In other words, are there any particular pieces of ship or crew artwork that you feel didn't hold up or shouldn't have made it past the cutting room? No, I don't know. I would be able to answer as far as, you know, that point. So, yeah. Yeah, no worries. And then many misprints seem to have been fixed in foreign language printings of the game. Were you also responsible for the artwork on these versions of the sets, like some of the German and French stuff? We did all of that stuff. If um, like we had them um, usually translated out, uh, you know, outside, and then they would we'd get the localizations and we would do the work on those, or we would sometimes, depending on the the workload, we would have an outside the outside whoever was doing the distribution they would we'd hand them the files and then they'd make those changes um but yeah as far as if i remember you know which ones are or not that's nope don't remember those <laughs> yeah yeah no worries do you know where the ships were made like the factory in china or wherever and stuff like that 
Uh, I do know the names, but I'm not allowed to provide that content. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No worries. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you know? Okay. Oh, this is a good one. Somebody mentioned this this year. I'm glad they thought of it. it. Says, do you know what type of printer was used for the card making process, such as a flexographic press due to the material being used, or stochastic press, or digital press? Uh, it is. I believe it's none of those. I don't know the name, um, but it has. It's a special press just for printing on. Um, this styrene material, like I said before, it has a different attribute than normal um, printing on, like if we're doing flexo for, um, you know, flexos, for example, used a lot on flow packs and things like that. But um, I don't remember the exact names of the, the printer type that prints on the styrene um, because I know it's a very special printing process so that it, like I said, it, it, it absorbs ink, which is different than those other types. Okay. Yeah. That'll still be probably useful for him. So. Awesome. Did you have yep. any involvement with the Sony Online Entertainment uh, digital version of the game? Yep. So we did all the, like, we provide them all the content, all of the art, and then we would do all the, like, review as they were building it out. Um, and then it was more of just, like, a consultation type uh, thing from, a, from an art perspective. Um, and then um i know the game design team had much more involvement as far as uh, the the mechanics and how that was you know true to our our property yeah that makes sense since the artwork was did a lot of it was digital it was probably relatively easy to convert it um to the online game just with like um, seems like i mean they had to build all the ships from scratch i mean because it's like a 3d yeah. university so a lot of it was you know we gave them you know as much art as we could and they tried to be true to things but there was definitely some you know building from scratch for them um so yeah. it wasn't later years that we actually started like building things more out of 3d um to help with the development of the the ships and such but majority of it was still like a 2d form it wasn't until um it wasn't until star wars pocket models that we were doing a lot more 3d work um because of the texturing that that involved and um and then also uh, we did a lot more um digital prototyping with uh, how those ships were put together yeah interesting um yeah it reminds me one of the cooler project in the current pirate csg community people are actually trying to make like not the same digital version kind of like a a new one of sorts where they're using different processes i'm not experiencing like the technical aspects of it but they're able to use we're doing a scan project where we scan all the cards uh that were ever produced and then they're able to use that to create like a 3d digital model of it um i think photogrammetry was one of the techniques used at some point but i think they oh found, yeah they found like, a fast i think they found a faster way to do it now just from the scans even just like making going from 2d to 3d so it's pretty crazy. So are they actually making 3D like from like to be able to build them like they were like the the actual the the models themselves or are they actually making like 3D realistic ships? I I think more of the former. Um essentially okay. trying to make a digital version using like tabletop simulator and things like that yep. and making it look like you're playing in real life. So not like realistic um like a movie or anything, but definitely yeah. able to play a 3D version online 
that looks yeah, the so same we, as tabletop. So in the in the later days of the game, we actually had built most of those ships in that oh. process. Um, I believe we used Rhino at the time um, and built all the ships in 3D. And that's actually how we did a lot of the like instruction sheets um, to to actually how to put them together were 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 done in 3D. Yeah, nice. Rhino, like being a computer program. Yeah, Rhino is yeah. the program. Yeah, um, I think if we were to do it again, we probably would do it something else. Um, yeah, you know, as time has passed, but yeah. um, Rhino was good for what we needed at the time. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm wondering how AI and VR and stuff like that will affect games like this and potentially help bring them back to life in the future, even if it's still yeah, possibly still five to ten years away. But yeah. yeah. Do you remember a favorite something in a fully digital form, but like actually all the models, that would be a definitely a fun, you know, I I could see something like that as like a mobile game or something would be pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you remember a favorite game piece you worked on? Like if there was a specific ship or crew or anything? Uh... I've got yours on deck for the next question, so we can skip to that if you want. (laughs) Yeah, maybe just go to that one. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> as far as uh yeah there were so many it's hard to yeah. pinpoint everything i think you know it was uh yeah i can't remember anything off the top of my head yeah yeah so thane heartless you were one of the uh bunch of people that got into the game um as a crew yeah. so did you have to ask mike mulvihill or somebody about that or did they did they want to do it from the start yeah it was like kind of an idea and i can't remember you know, the full like who started the or whatever. It might have been Tiffany. Um, but it was like one of those things where we were we we liked the idea of like how do we how do we get some of the the employees into the set? You know, it was very much a kind of like a morale thing of, you know, all the everybody that had been very much involved in the product and um, you know, so there's various people that are in that. And then we had an artist at the time um that was really good at taking existing portraits and uh, I think it, mine was done by Karen Yanner. Um, and, um, you know, we had a couple of those, we'd send them the portrait and then they would, um, you know, put us into the game essentially. So it was more of like a, I don't think it was anything strategic in that respect, but it was very much more just like this fun thing to, to put, put us into the game. And we wanted to make sure too, that it didn't look like cheesy in that respect, as far as like, some you know bad photo that was being put into the game yeah. there would we had done it a few times i think um in our mech warrior game um we had done some of the the different pilots were also um members of the of the employees and i'm trying to think if there was any other game before that that we did that but yeah in general like it was kind of one of those things that was always a fun thing to add in so yeah nice yeah, I'm wondering if I could get Tiffany to play as herself in the in the game this summer. <laughs> I'm sure. Eileen. I'm sure. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, do you have a favorite ship type, like a five master or like a three masted submarine or a Kraken? Uh, I mean, I was a fan of the. I was definitely a fan of the sea monsters in general. Just like I thought they were like just visually super cool. I know that from a gameplay, they were not as. Um, you know, exciting as people had hoped they would be, um, from what I've heard. But, um, but yeah, I, th- I always thought they was sort of pretty cool. 
Um, I always, and then any, any of the ships that we started to break away from the standard, um, you know, standard age of sales ships that, you know, like we did some of the more Asian ships and things like that. Those were always, you know, really fun to just do different ones. So, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Did you have any ideas that didn't make it into the game's production run? <laughs> no idea. Like we, we often like brainstormed all kinds of crazy stuff so as far as like what you know didn't didn't make it in i could, would not be able to tell you <laughs> yeah yeah no worries what's your favorite memory of pirate csg um if you're able to pick one i have to think i mean i think i i mean in general like that was a fun point within the whiz kids history as far as like like the the hype of of pirates and then it leading into you know the other pocket models like rocket men and you know star wars and um uh the nascar one it was just kind of like somewhat of a uh, the height of whiz kids and it was just really fun to be part of um something that people were really excited about and uh, the fans were really loving and for me that's in general, that's what I love about being part of this industry is I love when people get excited about what we produced and, and how much you know joy that we bring to others lives. Like I'm, you know, right now I'm, I'm the creative director for Robinsberger um, games globally. So um, that is just like, that's what's always brought joy to me in this industry is just all the you know, fans that come up and they're like, oh, I love this piece and, you know, or, or you know, I love this particular card or this, you know, I love this game. I, we play it every night with our friends or, you know, that kind of that's exciting for me um, more so than maybe like individual pieces, um, though. I would say, like, I know this isn't pirates, but the um, the uh, Halo um, action clicks when we did the Scarab, um, the the full um full-size scarab that was probably one of the highlights in my career with uh when or at least highlights in at my time at WizKids was developing that because it was one of the biggest things i developed um as a product um and just the work that went into that um was pretty exciting um and then you know of course um all the other there was i mean there was so much stuff that was really really fun with whiz kids and and i don't know if you've noticed from like all the people that have worked at whiz kids over the years and really were part of that core group we all are still connected we're all it was like a big family kind of thing (laughs) like we're very much a community that we uh we all talk very very highly of and it was a it was a cool period of time for sure yeah yeah it sounds amazing yeah tiffany talked about how she was she still uh sees the wise men's a bit or talked about texting Mike Mulvihill when we were getting ready to do our podcast in 2019 to help her remember a few things, things like that. So yeah, yeah. that's really well, awesome. Tiffany, it's a little hard for them not to see the Wisens just because, you know, family. Yeah. 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 yeah that's <laughs> hard. So, so she's kind of stuck with them, but uh, yeah, I run into Jordan every once in a while, you know, still like I work with Mike. Um, I, um, Tina was working with me for a number you know, of years and just barely left. And then, trying to think of who else from the WizKids crew like I'm still you know like um you know a lot of the designers I'm still involved with like you know in general like we 
we chat and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sandra you know, so pretty yeah. Cool. yeah, Sandra was the one that recommended talking to you because you know a little bit. Yeah, more I just saw it, Sandra so. like last week. So because yeah. <laughs> um, I was showing her um, my latest project. So I'm the um, creative director for Disney Lorcana. Yep. Um, nice. And so that um, I was she had worked on. She'd consulted with us early on um, in the production of it, of, of some of the stuff. And so I was showing her some of the latest stuff. And so, yeah, we, Sandra and I, we were, we were very well, still, you know, very good friends. I was just at her, at her wedding, you know, not too long ago and such. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. That kind of spirit has lived on through pirates too, because the community now is still pretty active. There's messages every day at the discord group. Um, and yeah, it's like this game has a way of, bringing people together even though it's about piracy and murder basically and like stealing <laughs> it's like it has this weird way of like creating really non-toxic like really wholesome uh relationships and whatnot so it's awesome For sure um so well, i know i've got it yeah i've got to go but yeah. um this has been awesome yeah talking for her and um yeah and if you like, like like i said like reach out to me if you need to contact with anybody in particular that you want to meet with or or chat with um, I can usually like I can put you in contact with Mike and then of course um, Ethan um, Tina if you want to know her from production stuff yeah. Uh, yeah so those are some of the core people um, I don't know if you've had a ch like met with Daryl Russvold no I think I've reached out to him but haven't talked to him yet um, yeah he was more in the later um, did you talk with Kean? Uh, no, he wasn't able to, I messaged him, I think it was 2019. So I'll probably reach back out. He wasn't able to back then. So, yeah, I know he was really big. Uh, he was pretty busy with like a lot of the, um, stuff over at Microsoft. So, um, yeah, I don't know there, but yeah, I think Ethan would probably be your, like one that you want to talk to both Ian and Mike are like the top two that I would, I would recommend getting a chance to talk with for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks yeah, for coming course. on too. Hopefully we can do a part two, but either way, love to <laughs> love to play someday. So <laughs> All right. Good awesome. deal. Yep. All right, everybody. Well, thanks to you and uh have a good one. Hell yeah, you too. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh this was Pirate CSG episode number fifty-six with Shane Hartley. And uh thanks for listening. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Anchor is the new host. And uh, hopefully we'll get a part two to finish up the questions. But either way, this was really fascinating to hear about a lot of different aspects of the game and definitely some kind of little hidden secrets uh, from over the years. So thanks again for listening. Uh, let me know how to improve it or if you have any other guest suggestions or let me know if you want to be on a podcast episode at some point and uh, keep playing Pirates. <laughs>